Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. All right, my guest today on the A-Game Podcast is Amal Easton. I'm rocking the Easton Trading Center Muay Thai shirt. So Amal Easton is a legend in the jiu-jitsu community. But on top of that, he has also turned his jiu-jitsu school into a thriving business. He's got a podcast. He's got he's just opening his eighth location. Obviously, he's got merchandise. So he took his love and his passion for learning and becoming a black belt on the mats and has transitioned into learning how to be a black belt in business off the mats. And the story tells itself. So this is a guy who plugs and checks every single box and hole you can think of for that journey to success with cutting out the negativity, silencing the doubters, focusing on things, getting over the self-doubt, surrounding himself with positive people, getting the right mentors around, understanding his core values, like all the things we talk about in every episode. Even if you're not into jujitsu at all, there's amazing business practices to take away for your real estate or for whatever it is that you're doing. It's all basically the same thing. So we talk a little bit about that. Obviously, we go into his jiu-jitsu journey. We talk about Henzo Gracie. We talk about Matt the Terracera. Shout out to Alberto Crane. We talk about Jason Rao. We go into some of the things on the mats. We talk about his early journeys in Brazil. And then we transition into some of the ways that he's been able to scale his business through his core values, being able to implement that, keep that same integrity, find ways to have systems and processes, find ways to hire good people, to communicate with good people, to know when to get the bad people out, to focus on the good eggs, to appreciate all the lessons that are learned from the good and the bad, and a lot of really, really cool stuff. So as I say throughout this, the episode, some of the people I respect most in life have all nothing but great things to say about them all. I haven't gotten to meet him in person, but I have gone down and trained at his gym. Shout out to Elliot Marshall, who went and took really good care of my buddy, Jeremy Black, and a know Jason Rao goes out there all the time and uh, obviously anybody that's been able to spend some time with the Sarah family and been around Henzo and Sean Williams and Matt Sarah and those guys so long it's not a guy that would have uh, lasted that long around those kind of guys if he wasn't cut from the same cloth so very very awesome person amazing story thank you for coming on Amal Easton check the show notes for all the ways to check out Amal Easton's training centers get some gear and find Easton online training centers because that Easton online link is going to get you some really good stuff for business practices so look over that whether you're looking to start and scale a jiu-jitsu school or just start and scale a business I think it's a great resource and a great tool from a guy who's put those things together taking all the lumps and figured it out so you don't have to. So thank you so much. And while you're there, obviously the way to connect with me best and to help us keep getting this show going as we hit 300 episodes plus as we work into 2024, please subscribe. NickNickNick.com slash links, L-I-N-K-S is all the ways that you can listen to and watch this podcast, which is pretty much available everywhere you get your podcast. It takes two seconds to subscribe or to follow. Please do so. I know you're sick of hearing about the algorithm, but it really helps with the algorithm. And then when we post stuff from this show, on social media, on nicknicknick.com slash links, you'll find all my social media. So please interact when I post clips of them all. Like them, give it the thumbs up, give it the A-OK, tag somebody, share it. You guys are scrolling on social media all day anyway. Take a minute, like the post, share the post, tag somebody in the post, because that's how Amal knows you're seeing it, you appreciate it, and he will pass on the word that we can keep getting other amazing guests like him to come on and share helpful and, and amazing knowledge and value on business and health and tips for 
anything you guys want to know about. So thank you for coming on. Please support that. Follow me on social media. Follow, uh, subscribe to the podcast. But more importantly, I want to do real estate together. That's really the big whole point of the show. So if you like to connect and either buy a property from me, sell a property to me, or find a way to partner up on a deal, or maybe you don't even know how you want to work together, but you're interested in having a conversation, either DM me the words real estate on any of my social platforms, preferably Instagram, so my assistant knows to look for it. Or DM me other word real estate as a text message. Text me directly 516-540-5733. Again, 516-540-5733. And if you would like a free checklist on all the ways to bring more value to your buyers as a real estate agent, broker, or wholesaler, go to nicknicknick.com slash bigger pockets for that free checklist. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm Molly Easton and sharing your story. It was a pleasure to be able to get to meet you. Thank you to Matt, Sarah, Jason, Rao, Alberto Crane, and all the people that uh, have linked me up along the way with the Molly Easton. It's just been amazing inspirations in my life. And thank you guys for listening. Check the show notes, support a Molly Easton. Have a fantastic day. All right. My guest today is a lifelong martial artist who started out in Muay Thai and fell in love with jiu-jitsu in the early 90s. This intellectual badass not only received a degree in traditional Chinese medicine and became an acupuncture master, but was also only the seventh person to receive a black belt from the legend Henzo Gracie himself. After heading to Brazil, he tried to train at the historic Gracie Academy in Rio de Janeiro with just some light funds in his account, an obsession for learning the art of jiu-jitsu, a kayak, and a huge set of cojones heading out there solo, and the origin story of Amal Easton began. His Brazilian jiu-jitsu icon moved to dis into Denver, opened academies known as Easton Training Center. He has now multiple locations teaching Muay Thai, jiu-jitsu, kids, and everyone from the average business person to soccer moms, all the way up to some of your favorite stars, celebrities, such as Elliot Marshall, Shane Carwin, and even Brendan Schaub. As he has established his jiu-jitsu black belt, he also became a staple in the martial arts community and has received his black belt in business as well. Through such platforms as his Black Belt Business Podcast and Easton Online, he's put together a comprehensive plan designed for the martial arts academy and owner and managers as well to enhancing every aspect of their business. From doing such amazing things as skiing, mountain biking, being the best man of my buddy Alberto Crane's wedding, as well as living with my friend, Sensei, and UFC Hall of Famer Matt Serra, this gentleman is definitely living his best life and holding himself accountable to his core values on and off the mat as a black belt. Please welcome to the A-Game Podcast, a gentleman I've looked up to a very long time, the man himself, Amal Easton. Thank you for being here, sir. Ah, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you, Nick. I tripped over that a little bit, but we got through it. We got through it. <laughs> oh, that sounded like a mouthful. That guy sounds like he's done some shit. He must be old. <laughs> <laughs> you have that experience, man. So anything I didn't touch on as far as people that might not be 100% familiar with your journey yet, that you can kind of fill in some of those blanks now for who you are and where you came from. That was a lot, you know? I mean, I started with Muay Thai. Like you said, I was always into a lot of sports. Uh, my parents kind of taught me you know, or I was raised kind of to chase what you love, not really to chase money or, you know, that, you know, they, they thought it'd be good to go get an education and such. But if you had an idea about what you wanted to study. So I was always more motivated by just kind of chasing my passion and somehow it worked out. I moved to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil in 1995. Um, there was very, very few foreigners there at that time. It was super expensive. Uh, the dollar was really weak. Um, it, you know, that was the the birthplace of jujitsu. You showed up on the mat in 95, two years after the first UFC. And there were, you know, a whole row, you know, 15 black belts on the mat at that lunch class all at once, you know, whereas there were maybe four schools in America and there was, you know, just a bunch of white belts. And then, you know, 
either the Machados or the Gracie's standing at the front. It was not a big uh, crowd of jujitsu outside of Rio. Even within Brazil, you'd go all over. So that was kind of where it started for me. And then, you know, life's taken all the turns that it has. But fortunately, I've chased what I loved. I think if you love what you do, you will be good at it. If you can find passion in it. And if you're, you know, if you have some kind of specialty you're good at, there's a solid chance you'll be able to pay your rent. Man, I love that. You know, I always go back to when I started out, I didn't come from money, but I came from a supportive family. And, and to me, if I could go back and tell anybody like, hey, if there's if you're going to come from money or you're going to come from support, having supportive people in your circles, I think changes a, a lot of things that money does. it. And I, I've heard you say that your mom always just pushed you to say, do what makes you happy, do what makes you happy. How much of that starting out from an early age of having somebody in your corner telling you and giving you that approval to just go chase your passion help really put you on that trajectory to where you are today? I think about that a lot because we were dirt broke growing up. But when I was born, I was born in a teepee, I always say. It's true. That's where we lived. My mom didn't want to leave the hospital because it was September, cold as hell in Taos, New Mexico. And the hospital was warm and we were going back to live in a tent. So uh, by choice, that was, you know, they were educated and that's what they chose to do, which was an interesting choice, but it was where we were. Um, and she would always say when I was young, like, oh, you're, you, you know, they believed in astrology and all kinds of weird stuff. And she'd be like, oh, you have your cards are full of like money and you're going to be very successful and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, so I don't know. There's something to it. Sometimes I think about that with my kids who are growing up very differently. Uh, but I think like, you know, it's hard to say. I, you know, I always remember my mom always saying like, you're going to be successful. You're going to be great. And I think she truly believed it for, you know, whether it was because of some tarot cards or Lord knows <laughs> uh, she believed it. And, you know, it seems to have worked out all right. I mean, <laughs> yeah, man. So I think that that's interesting too, because I talked to a lot of successful people that they, they will often trace it back to like one person along their way, whether it was, a prison guard when they were in juvie or somebody's mom or just somebody they came across in business. But of all the people with all the negativity, having one person who believes in you and makes you feel like, oh yeah, like I do have something special and I am capable of doing this. And everybody else might say like, I'm going to fail or everybody else might say like, I'm going to wind up, whatever it is, but having that one person in their corner really helps. And I feel like for you, one of the things I thought was really interesting is I heard you talk about when you went to Brazil and you had already made your mind up that you were going to go do that. And everybody you told, oh, no, you don't want to go there. You're going to get murdered. You're going to get robbed. And you chose to just say, like, I already made my mind up. I'm just going to cut that negativity out. And I feel like that's from everything from jujitsu to business to just doing anything in life that's a little bit different or off the beaten path. You have 95% of the people that say don't do that because it's untraditional or it doesn't fit their comfort level or they wish they could do it. And you just have to basically tune out the noise and focus on what you want. So is that something you've always been good at doing? Or was that maybe one of the first times that you were conscious that you kind of turned out all that pessimism and just followed your path? I mean, I've always been somebody that marches to my own drum for better or for worse. You know, like I probably, you know, I, I didn't do well in team sports growing up. I uh, have always just kind of gone my own direction. Anyone that's traveled with me is either like loving it because it's a lot of crazy adventures or they think I'm out of my mind and they never want to travel with me again. <laughs> you know, like I've always kind of gone my own direction uh, since I was a small child. I think it's a, like I said, a blessing and a curse, I do believe. So how much of that through 
going and, and just making a decision like that, I mean, it's a scary thing. And I think uh, I always love the quote, how you do anything is how you do everything. And for a guy who went and just decided to pick up all of his stuff with a kayak and, and go to Brazil, like what, what was it first off backtracking that to jujitsu? Like, I know you started out in, in some like Thai boxing and stuff, but why jujitsu? What is it? Cause I get the question a lot. People are like, Hey, if my kid, or if my, my, whatever's going to start a martial art, which one would it be? And obviously my answer is always jujitsu. But for you, talk about what about jujitsu attracted you to it initially? Look, if we're going to talk about effectiveness, which I wanted to be like Bruce Lee or Kane from Kung Fu, you know, <laughs> so I did Muay Thai was what I was into. And then I had a couple of fights in the ring, uh, both of which at some point during the fight, I fell down and uh, I won one and I lost one. And I was super beat up from the one that I won. You know, and so uh, with jujitsu, it felt like you could go really hard. It was super functional. There was no question about whether it worked or not. And, you know, you could potentially end somebody's life, but you didn't have to hurt them. You know, so like that was an amazing thing for me because all of a sudden it was like a game that you could really go with Muay Thai. Felt like I always had to kind of pull my punches or you could go hard on a heavy bag, but with a human, they step to the right a little bit. And then all of a sudden everything changes. <laughs> you could just go hard. It was like, you know, it was like playing a soccer game as opposed to just practicing, passing the ball. So that was, you know, I fell in love with it. I was in love with a lot of different things. You know, like I said, I followed my passion. I was obsessed with skiing, kayaking, bike riding, skateboarding. But I also, I think one of the things that saved me was that I kind of had this, I would look at people who were 50, who had gone all in with whatever I was doing, whether it was working in a restaurant or, and they didn't look super, you know, if they didn't look super satisfied or like happy with their lives, and it didn't have to do with money or any of that, did they look fulfilled in their lives? And if they did, then cool, that might be a good path. But if they didn't, it didn't look great. And so I got to say, like the restaurant industry was amazing for me. It offered me a lot of wonderful tools, such as relating with people and customer service. You know, but one of the curses was it was great money right off the bat. I think it's a great way for kids, you know, people without a, an education to make solid money and learn some good skills. But it, it can be a dead end kind of because unless you're going to start your own restaurant, it was hard to say, you know, what direction it was going. You could take that and parlay that, you know, if you can live within your means and parlay that into real estate or whatever, totally make it work. But as far as just, you know, I'd look at a 50 year old waiter and I wasn't sure a 60 year, you know, 50 year old ski instructor. And I just didn't see how it worked out. Um, fortunately I found Brazilian jiu-jitsu and I was completely obsessed with it. So I loved it as much or more than anything. I didn't think that that was going to be like a way to make a living, but I just, you know, I, I wanted to learn Portuguese. I wanted to live on the ocean. So I moved to Brazil, chased after jiu-jitsu. And then, uh, I was ready to come back to America. I was done having no phone, no car being broke all the time. Um, you know, like it's, it's always different living in another country, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily have the same culture, the same kind of friendships you have back home, all your family. It was before the internet. So now with the internet, you can feel real close to somebody. They can be on the other side of the planet. But back then it wasn't that way. I would talk to my parents, my daughter's away at school right now. And, you know, we talk once a week. I wouldn't talk to my parents for two months at a time, three months. I wouldn't talk to them at all, but I would like a letter would go back and forth every couple months. So it's hard to imagine just the separation that you experience 
with that. But um, so I missed America and it was time to come back. And when I came back, I thought I was going to do acupuncture and jujitsu, but one of them felt like work and one of them felt like play. And one of them had a huge demand and one of them didn't, you know, so it was, you know, my passion lied with jujitsu. Um, I had experience dealing with people through restaurants and teaching uh, Thai boxing and teaching skiing. So everything just kind of lined up. Man, that's you know, such a great journey. Of course, it was like I had a lot of experience teaching kids skiing, teaching uh, Muay Thai to all sorts of different people, teaching adults skiing. I was relating with people through the restaurant. So customer service, like, you know, I was just always working. Like I said, I grew up broke. So if I wanted a, you know, a nickel, I had to work for it or steal it. Um, that was my <laughs> option. So I had to make it happen. And then, you know, so I always worked and I always, always had something I was in love with. It's two very interesting points I think you bring up, which we could probably go in a whole other hour for, but the achievement versus fulfillment. I, I always bring up the example of Robin Williams, where the guy achieved so much things. I mean, he had fame, he had love, he had money, and he was miserable. You know, And, and I, I look back to definitely some of the times in my life when I didn't have a bunch of money, but I was just training at Longo's and Sarah's every day and hanging out with my girlfriend and going to the beach. Like it was just like some of the happiest times in my life. And I think finding that, like you said, the the other thing I thought was really interesting is the, I worked in, in restaurants all through high school and college. And I agree. I think getting people skills through that is absolutely incredible, but it also teaches you one of the things I say a lot is you learn what you want by learning what you don't want. And going and seeing exactly what you did, like going on the picket lines for the construction stuff and listening to all the guys that were going to retire, tell me they wish they never got in. It's like, well, I don't want to be here in 30 years doing that. So I think going after and chasing those things is uh, is interesting, but reflecting on the wins, like that's where I feel like you're interesting in the fact that you chased all these different things. And I feel like obviously you're an entrepreneur and what we do as entrepreneurs is we get shiny object syndrome. So we spread ourselves too thin. We're always going to look into different things. So in business, that can be a detriment. So how have you been able to control your love of everything and be able to hold, hone in and really focus and be productive in what you're doing instead of just uh, that whole chase two rabbits catching on and just chasing your tail all day and being actually a productive entrepreneur? You know, it's funny. It's a constant struggle in my life, uh, especially for those that are close to me, that my the way my brain works, and I think it's probably, you know, like I said, for a lot of entrepreneurs, like you said, is that I second guess everything. Like I go in all sorts of directions. Like, you know, it causes me a great amount of stress if I have to drive a diagonal from my house to my academy, because every street I have to decide if I'm going to go left or straight. Every single one. And every day I go through that dilemma and it's like, it torments me. Uh, I'm actually <laughs> in the of buying a new personal residence and I mean, we're closing today and I, I'd be lying if I didn't say that yesterday I wasn't going, God, I hope I'm making the right decision. I could still pull out all that, you know, like I, I'm all over the place. And, uh, you know, maybe that's again, it's something that probably behooves me greatly, you know, because I'm willing to consider crazy stuff, <laughs> but it like, you know, like you wouldn't want to be in my, in my brain, maybe it might drive a lot of people crazy as far as you know, being happy and money. That's an interesting conversation I have with my kid a lot. Cause he, you know, he always says like, ah, you know, I think money buys happiness or whatever. And I'm like, no, nah, I know as long as your basic needs are covered and you have food and a place to live. I know people that live super simply on nothing and are super happy. And I know people that, you know, we all hear about for sure. People that are 
filthy rich, never have to worry about money or work a day in their life. And they are not happy like Robin Williams. That's a sad story. Um, so happiness comes greatly from within. I do believe that if you can free up your time, that you can, you know, you can hopefully find happiness, but you know, not necessarily. I mean, some people have all the time in the world and they just can't find a meaning or they can't find, you know, the why, or I'm not sure what what it is maybe it's i think all our brains are a little different chemically as well and that you know some people definitely struggle with trying to find their happiness you know all of us do a little bit but definitely to greater degrees so i like the analogies of things that kind of come on and off the mat so that that same question before we transition to the business side i feel like i can't have a guy like you want to not ask jiu-jitsu side of that Business has evolved. The world's evolved. Zoom meetings, everything. But congratulations on the personal residence too, before I get off track there. That's awesome, man. Congrats. But we talk about evolving stuff. Jiu-Jitsu's evolved so much, man. And I think from your side of it, being a guy who's always been a student of the game, how are you keeping up and not getting overwhelmed? Because of you know, the, the difference from when you first started to where it is today, where you can jump on, on YouTube and then it becomes, you know, like what works, what doesn't work. Like there's times they go into the gym and I'll say like, Hey, what about this? And they're like, is that some stuff you saw on Instagram? Like that doesn't work. And then you got the heel looks and the evolution of guys like Jason Rao. So how do you focus on getting better in jujitsu and not get tricked into always trying to find like the hot new move or the new fad kind of thing that people are doing on the new BJJ fanatics DVDs? Look, it, the evolution in the planet, but also in jujitsu with the advent of the internet is cannot be uh, understated. It is so huge. Back when I learned jujitsu, our teacher in like 1991 or 1992, he wouldn't teach you a triangle unless you took a private lesson. So nobody knew a triangle. I'm nobody in our whole school, you learned to pass sticking your arm through and it would set you up for the triangle. If you did it right, you wouldn't get triangled. But if you don't know the triangle, it was hard to figure that out. It was a very limited uh, set of knowledge. If you didn't learn it from a person standing in front of you, you didn't learn it. And now like, yeah, it can get a little crazy. All the stuff you learn on the internet, it can go wild different directions, but there's, I mean, you could be in, you could live in the middle of Lord knows where, by yourself, if you've got a couple of good people to train with, you could, you know, jump on the internet and learn some pretty amazing jujitsu. Obviously, I think that there's a lot to be gained from being in a good academy and it sets up the environment and just makes it easy. But the amount of knowledge out there is insane. I mean, I used to geek out and we would train. I'd be on the mat six, seven hours a day. You know, I'm a little older now. I have different stuff going on. I've got my whole family, all that. Um, the people that have the ability to absorb that and spend that kind of time now, the amount of information out there is ridiculous. And like jujitsu kind of self-regulates in the way that, you know, like, how do you find out if it's a fad or not? It works or it doesn't really, you know, I mean, like lapel guard or something crazy like that. Like it's some very complicated knot tying going on there, whether you like it or not. It's very functional within the parameters of the game that you're going to play. And, you know, for me, like if it makes you smile and you get pleasure out of it, it's keeping you healthy. Then I think it's a great, uh, I think it's a great benefit and it's a great, you know, then chase it, go for it. So like, yeah, there's rabbit holes or, you know, if you're going to talk MMA, then maybe worm guard isn't your thing, but that's fine. <laughs> I mean, I'm not mad at worm guard. That's cool. And they're all functional. If it doesn't work, you're going to get beat up. So you don't have to worry about that. Right? 
Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So focusing now, talking about that, the same thing transitioning to the mats now, when you focus on one thing, I feel like the guys that really excel being, uh, I'm a little bit of an older guy now too. So I'm watching like new white belts. They come in there for a year and I'm like, dude, I was, it took me years to get as good as you are after six months. So I'm watching that evolution change, but how has it been for you watching people evolve like that? Because you've been around some of the greatest people in jujitsu and shout out to my buddy, Jason Rao. We, we were just talking about him a little bit earlier, but you know, we were talking, joking, like Jason was a white belt. He came in. I remember thinking he'll be okay. Like he's, he's a tough role. Like he kind of feels like he knows what he's doing. And then he started working the desk and then we would just walk in and the guy would be like doing hip switches on a medicine ball every day, or he'd be grabbing somebody off the mat that came in to fill out a waiver and doing like leg drags on them. And six months later, my brown belt buddies are calling me going, dude, the desk guy's tapping the crap out of me. And I'm like, what? And then he turns into Jason Rao and, and you were saying you saw this thing, same thing happened to John Danaher. So talk about those guys that come through and, and you watch them just start out lower than you and then just climb to these crazy ranks. And how does that affect you? backing it up not to go too off but my guitar player once told me he goes you watch a guy that good and you watch the almond brothers and you say i'm either going to go home and i'm going to practice every day to get as good as that can be or i'm just going to go home and burn my guitar and break it because i'm never going to be that good so wh where's the fine line i mean that's a tough one right that's why you know any teacher always says like you have to measure yourself against yourself you know and sure you're always going to measure yourself against certain other people but you know, sometimes it's in the cards, sometimes it's not. I was around like for John Donaher's early days and he was, you know, he was super strong. He was a weight, you know, bodybuilder. He was bouncing and he was, you know, working at, I believe, um, Cornell teaching, you know, philosophy or whatever it was. But, um, but you didn't know right away that he was going to be this amazing prodigy. You just, you just never know. I always say a little bit, one of the cool things about jujitsu is I think it really was like, revenge of the nerds like i don't know if, i don't see it as much in muay thai or a lot of that other stuff like jujitsu can be super nerdy there is so much to learn and you have to be able to absorb you know so much in your brain that that it's tough you know you've got the meow brothers you've got um musumichi like you would never expect these guys to be freaking savages and they are savages like nothing else you probably see that in wrestling and, and boxing kind of, but not the same. I don't believe like, I think, you know, jujitsu really did give a lot of these people with like a different kind of brain, you know, like you can roll on the mat with certain people and you're like, that guy's like an engineer or something. You just know it right off the bat. And so it's interesting seeing like who really like blows it up or picks it up, you know, and we know it just, it takes a lot of time, a lot of hours and certain kinds of brains really do just kind of have a creativity that, that helps them figure it out. It's, it's amazing. Mind boggling. I mean, now, I mean, I think it's kind of stupid. It's laughable, but everybody's like, Oh, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, like maybe he could have been good at jujitsu if he started when he was nine, you know, we might not have Facebook and the world might be better <laughs> off for it, but you know, who, who, I mean, that, you know, he blew out his ACL and now we're not going to get to watch him fight. I don't think we're missing anything because he's got a lot on his plate and I don't think jujitsu and MMA are his forte, but it's funny. Everyone's talking about it, but the nerds really do uh, excel in jujitsu. 
it is incredible to watch. Like I remember guys coming in and, and they could barely do the warm up, and then they get their black belts and stuff. And I think Matt was the one who always he's always been big on that man. He's always like I think he told me when we first joined, he said, "Man, this place is the land of mis misfit toys. All the people that don't fit in anywhere, like they fit in here. And there's nothing better than taking a nerd and making him a killer. And then you watch like the over the years, like the Kenny Florians and like Lou Kumos and the, like that was what it what it is, you know. And I, and I think that it's it's such a different example of like somebody that actually has good self-control, good emotional intelligence and self-confidence because back to what you were saying earlier about jujitsu being one of the things you could train a full force. I think it's the craziest thing that you watch these guys that like couldn't get late in high school, decide that they're going to be police officers. So they have some sort of authority and then they're on the force for 10, 15, 20 years. And the first time they ever get into an actual physical confrontation is the first time they've ever, like they've never experienced that. So they could have a black belt in, a hundred different martial arts that are not jujitsu and they've never felt what it's like to actually go in a real life scenario. So they panic. And that's where like, I feel like all these crazy situations you see come from because they don't know how to stay calm in chaos. And at the very least, I feel like that's the beautiful thing about jujitsu is on every level it teaches you to keep calm in chaos. And then you throw that intelligence factor in there on top of that. And I think that mental chest just checks a lot of boxes for people that don't really have anywhere to go or, to, or anywhere to fit in. And it makes them feel good for all the things that other people made them feel bad about. Yeah. Or they have, and they're amazing athletes and all that. And they think they're the, you know, I always say the toughest dishwasher Yeah, nothing about martial arts, but they'd be tough as shit if all they ever did was wash dishes, but they walk in to a skilled room and they get, you know, rolled up by someone that looks like Michael Musumichi. <laughs> that, you know, because not everybody's in there. The Matt Sarah before he discovered jujitsu was a bad motherfucker. He, like he says, he was the toughest guy in the high school. If you have been kicking yourself that you didn't start investing in real estate sooner, whether you're beginner, intermediate, or advanced, any way you're looking to get it on a residential, commercial, land development, wholesaling, fix and flips, whatever it is, let's find a way to get you involved in some projects, get you some properties, whether you want to sell some properties to me whether you want to buy some properties from me, whether residential, fix and flip, cash flow, multifamily, whatever it is you're looking for, let's figure out a way to get you involved or find a way for us to partner up on some deals. Go to www.nicknicknick.com, go on the consultation tab and figure out how to schedule an appointment to talk about where you fit in if you are not sure, or you can just reach out to me on any of my social media channels. If you go on www.nicknicknick.com slash links, you will see all the different ways to connect with me and figure out how we can start to work together make it happen everybody that invests in real estate always just says they wish they did it sooner best time to start is today it's hard to say it's it's it's, it's always fun you spend most of your time at math school right with jason rao and those guys i i bounce around a lot more now i have i'm not there as much as i'd like to be but that that's my home man you know i was there two, three times a day for the first 10, 12 years, you know, just between him and Longo's man. And uh, I try and at least touch base with Matt, text him once or twice a week, just to, you know, say hi. I, I love that I get to listen to the podcast and feel like, uh, feel like you're hanging out with him when you listen to it. You know what I mean? So I watched Jason come up all the way from the white belt to black belt. It's, it's, it's been pretty amazing, man. I watch a lot of these guys come through, you know, Aljo and I got our black belts together. I remember the first day Chris Weidman walked into the gym and, you know, you watch Rage and Allen, all these guys come through and achieve all this amazing stuff, man. It's really cool. Yeah. Matt, Sarah and Henzo and a bunch of those guys always have a special John, Sean Williams. All those guys have a special presence for sure. Matt, Sarah, is, he could be a comedian if he wasn't. Uh, you know. <laughs> it's a. Uh,
It's cool. I'm sure you I'm sure you check that box as well, man. Like, but all those guys they come from that. I just met Sean Williams for the first time in person. I went down, I trained by him. But it's like uh, you know, Matt walks into a room and he just immediately steals the energy and not in like a, a bad way that like he commands the attention. Like you just want to give it to him. And everything I've seen, like the same thing with Enzo, man. So I, you know, I I'd love to dig into that whole thing too. But you know, when we when we talk about the the onset of going through jujitsu and you guys coming up, basically you know, start out with nothing but the love of jujitsu and you've turned that into a whole business. Things shift a lot when you're doing something as a hobby versus when you're doing it for a business. So I know that that's been like a big piece of your life over the last few years. So I'd love to hear about like, what lessons did you actually learn on the mats that helped you with your transition into business? Well, that's, that's interesting. And I might diverge a little bit from the exact question, but it is thought provoking. When I taught skiing, we used to joke that the ski instructors were the worst skiers because they'd spend six hours on the snow a day. And then when it was time for them to ski for their own personal satisfaction, they were as flat as could be. Teaching jujitsu is the same way. You're going to be on the mat six hours. You're going to show up for your one hour. You know, you're going to teach five beginner classes and then show up for your personal one hour. It's hard to give it 100%. And you've got to give it 100% or it's not going to go very well. So that's a that's an interesting balance. And when I say that I felt fortunate to have, you know, always chased my dream and have it worked out, I was in love with jujitsu. But through that, it helped me really appreciate and find a passion for um, uh, accounting, marketing, sales, administration, you know, studying business. You know, when I was in, in college, I remember my uh, accounting class, the accounting teacher said, man, you're going to hate this. It's going to be miserable. And if you're not ready to do three hours a week, you know, at night of some accounting homework that you hate, then drop this class immediately. And I did. I wish I hadn't have. I'd love to tell that instructor that he sucks. Not all accountants have to be like boring and like it, it doesn't have to be like that. I love accounting now. I think it's fascinating. But it's like seeing how the whole business gets put together is fun now. And it's just like jujitsu, you know, you hate, you know, you don't like having people on your back. Well, learn how to defend the back. Same thing. You know, if you want to, if you want to be, you know, have a jujitsu school, if you want to do anything, right. If you want to have anything that's more than just a job for yourself, you're going to have to take a step back and look at it from a higher view and understand the pieces and how they fit together and uh, that that can make things that might have seemed, you know, boring once uh, very exciting. I, like I said, I love accounting. I love sales. I love all that stuff. It's really cool to me now. And it's like, you know, it is just like, just like jujitsu in, in that respect, you know? That's cool, man. I like it. I agree. There's a, there's an art, there's an art to all of it. You know what I mean? And there's ways you can do it right. You can do it wrong. And I think part of people look and they go, well, you know, I want to get into jujitsu, but I want to be a black belt. I want to be a UFC fighter. And then they discount like the fundamentals and the work that goes into it. And I think the same thing in business, like, oh, I want to be a real estate investor. I want to own all these houses. And it's like, yeah, but, and I tell everybody, whenever I teach like a class or I mentor, I go, don't worry about five. Don't worry about 20. Worry about one. Do your first, do your next deal. Let's have a good experience there. And then we can talk about two. Then we can talk about three. And you're somebody that opened the school. And I think people would love to, look, I want to be like a mall. I want to open an Eastern Training Center. And I want to own six and seven. And I want to have affiliates. But 
they don't pay attention to getting their first one right. They're only looking down seven, eight, nine, ten, and they don't get those foundations ready. So talk a little bit about what that what that, that was like going from the first one to scaling to and you, did you just open another one this week, actually? Number eight. Dude, congratulations. That's awesome. I forgot. I just saw Elliot post about that. Congrats, man. That's incredible. So eight, going from one to eight, like what was it like? Is it similar things like making sure that you got to obviously make sure your first one is, is running on all cylinders before you grow into the other ones. So talk about the scaling process. First and foremost, I have to say it's not for everyone. You know, <laughs> I have very happy, very successful people that have one school and like, you know, if a relationship breaks down and somebody has to go, then don't let the door hit you in the ass. You're fine. You can keep that whole thing up. If you want to have, you know, a big thing like that, you have to be able to uh, grow and maintain a team. And the biggest part of that is how, you know, what's in it for them. You know, like it's not all about you. you like I talk about the whole, all the different aspects of the business. You have to understand all of them. You don't have to be great at them. You know, like do you lean in your weaknesses or lean in your strengths? I believe you have to understand your weaknesses, you know, and then, you know, if it's a defend the back, you're going to have to do it yourself. But if it's like, you know, create a sales process, you might not be the best one for the job. You need to understand the outline and the basics. And then if you can, can show that you deserve to have people working with you, you know, then, then maybe you can get people that are better at those things, help you out. And that's, you know, it's got to be bigger than you if you want to have that big of an organization. And people are always like, oh, how do I find a good manager, whatever? Well, do you have, do you deserve a better manager? Like, do you have a product or the skills or something that's going to make it worth it for that level of person? Somebody who's smart, who could do it on their own, right? Want to work with you because they deserve success and happiness and all that great stuff also. And if you can't provide that for them in a like way that they see, yeah, this is good. You have to put yourself in their shoes and say, you know, how is this going to work out for them? Like if I was their parent, would I say, yeah, this is a great option for you charge forward. Or would I say, what are you doing with, you know, why wouldn't, why would you do that? You know? And I think it's like, they always say people don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care, you have to really care and make sure that you're bringing your you know, that if you're going to have a team, they're going to have to have a reason to work with you, you know, and, and you don't, and if you want, if you want good people on your team, then the, they have a lot of other options. And I think that I get a lot of people that say, you know, how do I get a good manager? And I look and I go, man, I don't see, I, I obviously can't say it, but I look and I go, I don't see that you have uh, shown that you deserve that that any good manager would want to work for you because you've not done anything that's going to provide for them in the way that they deserve. You might get somebody that's you know that's not really pushing it. You know, like you know, McDonald's employee is a McDonald's employee. You know, they probably don't have a lot of options. They don't have a lot of motivation, and the, you know, and I'm not saying anything wrong with being a McDonald's employee, right? But it's like you start somewhere, you know, and McDonald's is trying to set up that job so they can have the lowest common denominator perform that work. And not to disregard anyone or it doesn't make anyone better or worse, but, you know, like there's a certain employee. Look, I, if you put me to work at McDonald's, I'm going to bust my ass. I'm going to do the best that I can. I'm going to crush it. You know, I'm going to work hard. 
And then at the end of a certain amount of time, I'm going to look and I'm going to be like, you know what? I think I can do better and I'm going to quit and I'm going to move on to something else as I should. You know, now if they pay me enough and make me feel a certain way, then maybe I'll stay. You know, I'm not going to go in there and go, you're not paying me money. I'm going to freaking just drag my ass. There's people like that. But people that are going to charge and make something happen are going to work hard. It doesn't matter if you pay them or not. They're going to bust their ass. They're going to bust their ass for free. But eventually, you know, if it's not in line with where they're trying to go, they're going to move along. It's well said, man. Everybody wants to look for the rock stars. And I tell them, you can find them, but you got to keep them in the bands. You know, how do you keep them happy? How do you keep them from splitting up? And I think that that's, uh, you know, an, always an interesting topic for for finding good talent. And one of the things you touched on, I, I looked at your website and you basically had your core values on there when you went on. I think there was five or six of them that were on there. And I, I never, I, I've written them out in a hundred different ways, but I start to look for now as I'm hiring new people, like, what am I looking for in that person? And there's a hundred different people that might be good for the job, but those core values are more of like, hey, this is who I am and I want somebody like me because I tell people, even though it's a business relationship, it's still a relationship. And in and, and even some cases, I might have guys that are good friends that I wouldn't be friends with if we didn't have the same integrity and values and, and similarities. And I talk to them maybe a few times a year. Now I'm going into business with somebody that I might have to talk to four or five times a day and people don't think that it's equally as important to have those same values and those same communication skills. So um, talk a little bit about that. How important have your values been? And how did you come up with, with them? Because it's hard to narrow it down sometimes and figure out what those are. First of all, I would be remiss if I didn't say that um, it took a whole team to do a lot of the stuff that we've done. Like, you know, so for me to say, oh, let me tell you how I came up with the core values. Man, it was not me it came up with the core values. I was part of the process. So like we have a, an amazing team of people. I mean, it, I'm, 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 I'm worried to mention uh, <laughs> any of them because I'm going to forget some of them, but, you know, starting with uh, Mike Tusignan, Elliot Marshall, uh, um, Ian, uh, there's, there's so many guys on our team, you know, Sean Madden, uh, Ian Lieberman, so many that it's almost, you know, it feels weird to sit up here and take credit for anything alone because, man, I'm not that smart. You know, <laughs> like, So the core values was funny because it's something that I struggled with for 20 years. And it was hard to really figure out why it was important or why it mattered. You know, because you say like core values to be the best jujitsu school, to be like to empower people's lives. But th that's kind of bullshit. Everybody wants to say that and do that, right? Core values are like, you know, what we say, it's what you're willing to lose friends or money over. And that's tough. Like if you and I are good friends, but if I act in such a way that it is going to disrespect your core values to the point where you're like, we're not friends anymore, or I'm going to have to let him go. What are those things? And what is it? about the core values that, you know, because if you can have everybody on board with the core values, look, this is how we're going to treat people. This is how we are going to act in a professional manner. This is how we're going to act in a personal manner. You know, like now you're talking about the tough, you know, difficult decisions. And we're all faced with these difficult decisions all the time. And everyone has kind of maybe a different compass. But if you can get people with a similar compass working on board, you have a much better um, chance of survival, you know, because a business relationship is like a marriage. 
and a lot of marriages don't work out. And uh, in this day and age, you're free to leave a marriage if you want. And you're free to leave a business relationship if you want. So you have to make sure that you you just you align with how you think and and not like I say, it can be real superficial, but those those aren't the ones that matter. You know, like if you're talking real estate, okay, we're gonna like help people find like the real estate that they want and we're gonna, you know, make money. Well, cool, everybody can get on board with that. But those aren't where your tough decisions are going to lie. So with our core values, you know, there's programs that help you. And when I say programs, we took the core people in our business and we made sure that, you know, there were different demographics um, included. You know, like I felt we felt like it was important to have like a female voice in that. Um, so we had, you know, we had six people that we said these are very important people in our corporation and they have value to add to this conversation and we sat down and with a facilitator and he went through it with us you know we talked about what's important to you what you know what are the things that would be deal breakers for you what would you know and you have to ask some tough questions and it wasn't easy it was like a week locked in a room and then at the end of it we came out with some you know stuff that we felt we could live by and then we had to make some really hard decisions after that because we realized that there were some people that that we might love or have been with us for a long time that didn't line up with that. And and then we have the choice. Are we going to live by the core values or are we going to not? You know. And so if you want those core values to be a living, breathing part of your business, it's like an operations manual. Not easy, right? But to make that not just like, okay, we wrote our core values. And now like it's a crumpled up piece of paper, like in the corner of the room somewhere, Lord knows what it is. Nobody knows to make that like really live, you, you know, you might lose some friendships, you might lose some money, you might lose some students and you're going to have to be okay with that. But it helped make things uh, clearer and easier, but it was not easy. <laughs> it's still not easy, but I feel like our company uh, has greatly benefited from the process and from making that something that lives. Man, that was one of the best answers to that questions I've ever gotten. <laughs> That's a tough question. That, that I, awesome. I have so much time. You go to all the big companies like Nike or whatever, you try to look up what their core values are and it's just different. You can't just steal their core values and write it down and then say, there's my core values. It's a legit process. Yeah, man. So now talking about that, when you scale out and now your name is on a bunch of different buildings, what are some things you do for quality control or for systems and processes to make sure that things are, as it spread out, still keeping up the core value and the integrity of you without you having to actually be there every day? We make sure those core values are forward facing so that everybody is aware of them. They can see them. Everybody that works with us in specifically a management parameter is very aware of them. And, you know, they know that they're going to be held accountable to those values, you know, as our, you know, with our students, all that, like it's, you know, it's forward facing. So you can see it, you could look it up on, you know, it's posted around the school. It's, you know, and, and we do, you know, there's some tough decisions. There's some stuff that's not easy with it. Um, but that's what lets me have, you know, multiple schools that I'm not necessarily at because I feel all right about this is this is working out the right, you know, this is, you know, they're going to be living by this, you know, um, and, and 
and we make we do make hard decisions based on those but i'm not going to show up to a school and you know like you know you're going to have all kinds of weird stuff in an academy you get all kinds of different people there's a lot of different power differentials you're going to have you know you're going to have to decide is it okay for teachers to date students is it okay for you know teachers to marry students is it okay for you know what kind of relationships are acceptable within this parameter um now obviously you know we've seen and heard about all kinds of different stuff there but that stuff really matters if you're going to create a well-bonded community um it it and you know it's difficult and sometimes it's you know like people will run amok and everybody makes mistakes and everybody kind of figures this stuff out but you know, we're an unregulated industry, so it's kind of Lord of the Flies a little bit. And I think that having some parameters like this is what we stand for, it really helps out. And that's what lets me have, you know, different schools. So how do you keep it alive in those different schools? Man, you've got to be shouting it from the rooftops all the time, you know, at the risk of sounding evangelistic, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Because I believe, you know, I believe that as long as people are standing up to those core values, I don't care, you know, like jujitsu brings people together, you know, we have Muslims and Jews training on the mat together, and hopefully, you know, in peace, you know, like everybody's got to get along. And I believe it's a wonderful thing for that. Because you, you could you really, I mean, I have I have friends that think from the mat very differently than I do. They we probably wouldn't be friends if it wasn't for the mat. But, you know, I consider them some of my best friends, you know, like I have to be careful about alienating any group because, man, I know people from that group that I respect a lot. They're very intelligent um, and they just don't think like me. And that's OK, you know, and so I think that tolerance and that is a huge part. And where does the line between tolerance and, you know, acceptability cross, you know? So eh, that's a tough question. <laughs> Probably go on yeah. for that. No, that was good though. But you, you know, for another tough question, when you're talking about that, Matt talks about it a lot too. Is like there could be one guy he refers to him as like the that one person in the gym becomes a cancer, and it just spreads the negativity throughout everything there. So partners, partners are tough, man. So how do you deal with those tough conversations as a business owner and a leader, whether it's a, a student that's just doesn't fit the culture that that's got to go or a business relationship that maybe you've had for years and now you realize that it's not the same fit because. Those things happen, man. Bands break up, good things go, excuse me, good things go bad. So how do you handle the tough conversations with the people that are not a good fit any longer? Listen, so for some of the big ones, I have to be uh, very involved in those conversations because we have a solid set of core values and because we have such a great team, I don't have to be the one to deal with a lot of those anymore. You know, I have eight schools. Like I can't, I cannot be in every one of those. And like, I didn't get in this business because I'm good at breaking people off or, you know, I'm not, I'm a people person. Like I have, like, it's just who I am. I like to get along with everybody. <laughs> right. That's important to me. Like I lose sleep at not at night. If I'm not probably to a fault, but you have to look at the scenarios that you're faced with and hold them up to your core values and say, does this break our core values? And that's why I said, if it's like, we're going to, if your core values are bullshit, like, oh, we're going to make the best jujitsu students possible and like be nice to each other. It's harder to be like, well, does that break our core values? 
you know, maybe yes, maybe no, you know, you, but you have to be able to hold them up to that mirror and say, does this reflect our core values? And the core values are not like minor stuff like, you know, okay, we're all going to be like religious or, you know, it's not stupid like that. The core values are like, you know, we're going to treat people with respect. And so then you have, and sadly, everyone's had it, an instructor that's just dating every student. And then, and then not only, look, it's one thing dating every student and then nobody's unhappy. It's a mutual thing, but dating every student and then like man, management has to be talking about it for hours every day. That's bullshit. So the only reason that's happening is because somebody's feelings are getting hurt and they're feeling deceived or lied to or however it is. And, you know, that's why you have to have fucking HR. HR is horrible. HR <laughs> you have to have because of a couple of bad seeds, a couple of people in your space that are not living up to your core values, or maybe they are and your core values are bad, but <clears throat> this day and age, you know, things have gotten a little bit insane, no doubt, you know, um, but, but HR is to deal with the, you know, the bullshit, but typically HR deals with people that are, that are just not, they're not getting it, you know, like they're not, you know, they're not dealing with people in a respectful manner. And so I even lost track of your question. No, nah, you got it, man. We were just talking about handling the tough conversations. You're saying as you scale a business, you don't have to be the one doing it. You hold it up that mirror and say, through that lens, is this breaking that core value or not? And then clearly I'm a huge believer in second chances, but you know, I give you a second chance and then a third, and then you're like, dude, we're done. Like, clearly you're just not thinking like we're thinking and that's fine. Either it's fine or it's not, but it's time for you to move on because that's not what we are doing here. You know, cool, man. it'd be like, if you got married and then, you know, and then your wife decided that, you know, she liked cocaine and strippers and that wasn't okay with you. If that's okay with you and that doesn't break your core values, that's fine. I have no problem with that. But like, if that's not what you're doing, then that might not be the best match for your marriage. Or maybe, <laughs> like I said, no problem. But you have to decide what is important to you. And it's hard as a, as a younger lad, you're like, experiment. Lord knows I've done some crazy shit. I've lived all over the world. I've, uh, yeah, I've done some wild stuff, you know. But, uh, you know, you kind of test the boundaries a little bit. And, you know, you see what's going on. And then, you know, as you grow older, you decide like, this is okay and that's not, you know. And part of that's what makes the youth so important because they don't have that like narrow strip of this is what is possible. I'm not talking about morals now, but like, this is what's possible. Whereas as you get older, you start being like, no, no, no. I understand how the world works. The world works like this. That is not possible. Sometimes it is, you know? So like we all think very differently. That's and that's important. It's important. You need that. Like politics is so crazy today because um, it's so polarized and people have such a hard time just seeing the other perspective. You know, people get so entrenched in their way of it has to be this way. It's a sad state of affairs, no matter which side you stand on, in my opinion. You know, it's designed, democracy is designed so that everybody gets a voice. Because if everything's going your way, then great, you're stoked. 
But when it starts going the other way, if you're a liberal and things start going super conservative or you're conservative and things start going super liberal, then now you're like, oh, my God, you guys are fucking morons. <laughs> they like It's designed to keep a middle ground so that you can have a community that's that's that feels represented and feels happy enough. You know, like I saw a hilarious uh, social media thing the other day, and it was like this communist it was like in a university and it was like uh it was a communist literally like they were trying to promote communism and one of the girls was from china and he was like how can you you know if you support communism why are you in america why aren't you still in china why did you come here and she had no answer she was like well because china's horrible and that's not communism <laughs> you know there's a lot of different ways people think and like i wouldn't want I wouldn't want either side to just be able to run away with it. And it's a very inefficient system by design. Yeah, I just saw that post. Like You must have posted it too, because I, I just definitely watched it yesterday. But man, it's it's a crazy time out there with social media. And obviously, you know, there's, there's some bad apples after those happen. But focusing on the positive there, take that other side of that now. When you have people in your gym and in your life, that go out and they achieve all these amazing things. So looking like a guy, for instance, like Brendan Shaw, I know like he kind of came through, he, he mentions your name a lot on his podcast, but what's it like looking back at a guy like Brendan, when you saw him kind of coming through the ranks as just a young, hungry lion, and now he's achieved all the success, not only in fighting, but turned into this amazing business guy, comedian, podcaster, and really just grown into this incredible human. What is that like for you watching people go through that process? Look, diverging from where I just went is that you're right, 100%. We have a couple of bad apples. But for the most part, man, look at the community you meet through something like jujitsu. It's ridiculous. All the different interesting, wild, crazy, unique, <laughs> you know, like people that we meet. It's, it's amazing. You know, I could walk downtown and I know the business owners and the homeless guy. And like, I love all <laughs> of them. Amazing. And they all offer to it you know it's like back at henzo's academy when it was above the methadone clinic you'd get in the elevator and you'd have no idea if that dude was getting off at the second floor which was the methadone clinic or the third floor which was the jujitsu academy so you'd stand there and you'd be like i have no idea it was it's fascinating i mean the amount of people that makes me so stoked just thinking about the amazing people that we get to interact with and you know and and if you take the time to kind of get to know people you know, not just train, you, you realize, wow, what, what a special community. And that of all, since I moved to Brazil in Brazil, you had like, like I said, children, you know, people that sell, you know, sell popsicles on the beach, homeless people, federal judges, like, and all those people are together exchanging ideas and talking and laughing. And what a freaking cool thing we get to do. Amazing. Yeah. I love that, man. I've always been infatuated with that coming on and like guys are in the parking lot. And it's like, well, what do they do? It's like, well, he's a cop and he's a robber. It's like, yeah, but they were best friends in there five minutes ago. Like, it's really, it's really cool, man. Watching all those different parts of life come together. And it's cool. My my brother was a very pessimistic guy. He got his brown belt recently from Matt Sarah again, shout out to him. But I remember him coming from the music side of stuff. And it was always, you know, nobody's carrying their weight. The singer gets all the attention and it was kind of complaining, complaining, complaining. And he said, I wish all my friends in music celebrated each other's successes the way my friends in jujitsu did, because a guy gets a record deal. Oh, well, his my band's better than his. 
guy gets a stripe or a promotion or what it's like, oh yeah, he worked his ad. Jason deserves everything he's getting like Matt. So I think that that sense of community, uh, and I'm sure everybody has in their thing, but I haven't come across one that I can roll into a place like Denver, ask somebody who's the best out there. They shoot me a Mall Easton's number. You set me up with another one of your schools. And the next morning I'm training with one of your guys and we become friends. Like it's amazing, man. It's amazing. The community is, it's hard for me to think of any, you know, and I've been involved in a lot of communities, but just the quantity of people that you get to deal with, which is amazing. You know, like I always, it comes back to Henzo always says, man, like without my enemies, like he's saying, like, I don't need more friends. Like I need some enemies, you know, because without <laughs> like life will be so boring, you know, and like his his attitude just like even the bad apples like man i have some hilarious stories from the bad apples and they might have been a pain in the ass or caused some sleepless nights or whatever it is but like you have to appreciate them too because that <laughs> you know like that is spice till we had a kleptomaniac come through the school and just to be able to see that up close that you think like yeah you're gonna break every bone in his body like he's stealing everyone's shit and then you see like, wow, the thing this kid is most concerned about when getting confronted and completely busted, standing in front of a police officer, admitting to having stolen everyone's shit. And what he's saying is, does this mean I'm not going to be able to train anymore? And you're like, holy shit, dude, are you kidding? You want to get on the mat with all these people you just stole from? But like, you just see like, wow, there's some wild people out there and they think very differently and like you have to like embrace that and i think that henzo is the one that I, i've never met anybody like him just in the way that he really like seems to embrace life and every aspect of it i heard you refer to him as somebody who always has a solution to every problem and i'll give you that solution with a smile and a joke and i thought like man if, if there's one thing i could have on my casket or on my tombstone, like that, if that's how somebody described me, man, I thought that those were amazing words of like, who wouldn't want to have that be the way that people describe them? Dude, ever since I first met him in Brazil, he, he I just watched him fight on TV. I always tell this story, so I'm not going to get too far into it, but he walked into the academy. The whole academy was gravitating towards him. It was my first month in Rio. I was kind of a leper sitting all the way over by myself. And he looked at me and said, man, what are you doing here? And made me feel special for going there and training with him. He has an amazing way to just, and any problem I would have there that seemed insurmountable, he would be like, man, you are so lucky. I wish I had those problems. <laughs> it definitely makes you go, you know, it's easy to get sucked into the bad apples. But like, man, appreciate the bad apples and appreciate all of the good apples because, you know, that's it. And, you know, you have to you have to make decisions. But, you know, he would always say, like, don't sit on the fence, like choose a side and fight, you know, like, and that might not be 100 percent always my attitude. But, man, I, res I respect Henzo as much as anybody I've ever gotten to spend time with. He definitely has a unique way and a contagious way. I don't know anybody that's hung out with him for a significant amount of time that's not uh, moved and uh, literally changed my life. Man, that, that's awesome stuff. And, you know, I, I know you're getting tied out of town, but I can't let you go without saying that that all trickles down from the top, man. So all the things that you just said about Henzo – I echo that from Matt Serra, man, because the, he, I'm sure he took that from Henzo and he feels the same way. He says a lot of the same things you just said. And for me over the last 15, 16 years now, like he's been such a, 
a staple in my life of somebody that I always look up to, I always look for approval for. And I, I think I heard you say it too, but like sometimes it's like the litmus test is like, what would Matt Sarah do in this situation? Like, how would he think about how I handle this situation? And he's just been somebody that for, you know, I'm very blessed to be able to, to be friends with him and to be able to see him every day and have him make you laugh and show you this amazing jujitsu, like text him and he'll just say, Hey, come roll. Like my buddy's a musician. He's like, you realize this is like being able to text Jimi Hendrix and say, you want to play guitar for an hour? Like it's incredible, man. So I didn't even know before we booked this podcast that you freaking lived with Matt Sarah, man. So talk a little bit about your, your friendship and experiences with the terror. I lived, we spent a lot of time together. He was the, you know, he was, probably the best guy in the academy when I first went on my way to Brazil and I trained at Craig Kukuk's academy and Matt Sarah was probably, he was probably the best guy. I can't think of anybody else. Um, he was a blue belt at the time. Um, so we were kind of, we came up through the ranks together. He was always an absolute demon. So I, I spent a lot of time with him there. And then after my grandma passed away, I didn't have a place to stay in New York City. And so I stayed with him probably for three weeks, lived as a long word. But I, you know, I stayed <laughs> house for three weeks with his mom and his dad and his brothers. Um, it was, you know, it was an amazing experience. You know, we would get up at two in the morning and train jujitsu. Um, uh, it was uh you know, that whole family is, is something special and something different. It was a very memorable time. You know, that was before he reached, you know, all the fame and all that, but he was always a special character as was, you know, both of his brothers. Now, you know, Nick, who I spent a lot of time with and, but his dad was special. His mom would cook lasagna for us. And it was just a very, uh, you know, we go train with Ray Longo every day. Um, yeah. It was a, it was a memorable time. You know, there was a lot of, a lot of hard work, a lot of laughing, you know, like it was cool. Oh man. That's awesome. Shout out to Papa Sarah, man. He was a big piece of uh, me learning along that way too. So shout out to Matt for sure. He always says to send his regards. I told him you were coming on. So definitely yeah, mention him so much. I, I like just getting to spend time with that whole crew was a very special time of life. And it's a shame that we have to grow up because yeah. I, I could, I could, I could live those days over and over again the rest of my life, but I'm very happy to be where I'm at now. So speaking of that, man, I know you're, you're kind of getting out of your day. I appreciate you being so open with your time and hanging out with us, but Easton online, man, talk about what you have going on with that, how you're helping other businesses scale and get their systems and processes in place and the black belt business podcast and talk about all the things you're working on now. Listen, selfishly, Easton Online was a way to help us get really organized with our systems and get a really living and breathing kind of operations manual and blueprint. And then, you know, as long as we're going to do that, it's like, man, I have so many friends all the time reaching out. How do you do this? How do you do that? That eventually it was like, man, we should just share our stuff. You know, there's two ways to think about a great idea, right? Do you just keep it to yourself and not share it or do you, you know, and, and, and that way, maybe you're the only one that knows it and your life goes great like that. Or, you know, it's kind of like the, how do they say it's the mentality of prosperity versus, uh, you know, abundance and, and lack of abundance or whatever it is. Like, if I share this, is it going to hurt me? You know, if you have a great idea, do you tell everyone or do you keep it to yourself? And we decided it's better just to share it. So we started Easton Online to help people run their academies. And, you know, with the idea of there are so many amazing jujitsu practitioners that 
uh, could benefit so much from not having to reinvent the wheel. Like if you just take what we do and implement it, I'm not saying that's going to be easy, but it's going to be a lot easier than making it up yourself. You know, then it's like, it really is a fast track to success. Back when I started the school, there was, you know, there was models, but the models I had to look at were like, what do I like about the way the karate school does it? What do I like about the way a restaurant does it? What do I like about the way a yoga studio does it? And you had to kind of look at how am I going to operate this in a way that is going to serve, you know, me, the staff and the students, you know, and, and, and that's what we do with Easton online is we help people out with that. And it's, you know, it's been fun. It's been an amazing process really helping, like I said, it helped us get all of our processes together. Elliot Marshall has been huge on that. He's basically spearheaded that whole campaign, you know, and and we have, you know, 25 years of experience that we have built into that. You know, a lot of it was pre-internet, so there was a lot of wasted time in there, but we're trying to save you 20 years of, you know, <laughs> wasted time and Lord knows how much money and stupid seminars I did. <laughs> and like condensed and hopefully, you know, can help out a lot of people. It's been uh, fun getting to work with and serve uh, a lot of people in the professional community of jujitsu. I think it's cool, man. The, even the way I've, I've seen other things put together like that before, the way you have your modules flow and your information out there, it's so well put together. It's very sequential. It's very easy to look through. So I think you did a fantastic job with that, man. I highly suggest because we have a lot of people listening to this podcast that are looking for things in business that I think you could take away, whether it's a jujitsu business or not. And I think a lot, a lot of the things for people that want to scale up just in general, I think the business principles of how to do that are extremely important. And I appreciate that you learn from those lessons. Cause again, those lessons in business, they could be tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars, if not more. So why make them yourselves when you have other people out there that you can learn from? So I love that, man. I think what you're doing is awesome. How do people find that? How do people connect with that? If they want more information. Ooh, I think it's eastononline.net, eastononline.net, or get information on Instagram. Look up either message myself, Amal Easton, or my business partner, Elliot Marshall. Uh, I, any of that will get you there. Um, you know, it's interesting about business. I think once you understand business, that in theory, every business is the same. You know, like you figure out what your product is, and then you have to figure out a way that you're going to sell it, and you have to figure out a way that you're going to market it, and then retention and acquisition. You know, I don't care if it's real estate. I don't care what it is. It's all the same in theory, right? Everything's a little bit different. But when you choose your niche and then to have somebody show you how to do it within that niche is, I mean, so valuable. I, I wish I could have been so much ahead of where I am. Uh, had somebody been able to lay that all out for me, it was a blast figuring it out. But there were, man, we took a lot of left turns when we on right. And that's part of the process. That's awesome, man. Well, I love that you're sharing it. For all the ways to find that, to connect with you and to connect to your podcast, I'll put all those links in the show notes. So if you guys are listening, go right in the show notes, click away. I'll connect you right there. You, sir, are somebody who brings your A-game to everything you do in life. This interview has been no different. You definitely brought your A-game into this show today. I really appreciate it. Any final thoughts before I let you go today? Man, not really, Nick. I appreciate your uh, your time. I'd love to hear more about your experience. I'm sorry. I feel like I... Uh... I, 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 I could have got more into that. We don't have a lot of time oh, no, man. real estate and just all that stuff. And we're going to have to uh, continue that at a later date. 
Yeah, man. I, you're welcome back on any time. I had a whole, again, I had all these other things I wanted to bring up. I want to talk about your real estate journey and all those kind of things, man. But it's been a thrill for me to have you on, man. I've been watching you for a long time. The people that I respect most in the world all have nothing but amazing things to say about you, man. So it's it's been awesome. I can't wait to get together and meet you in person. Thank you for coming on. I'm all ladies and gentlemen. Have a fantastic day. Aha, uh -huh, all true. Good to see you, Nick. Talk to you soon, brother.